Good morning. It's so wonderful to be here with you this morning on a bright and beautiful Lord's Day, to gather together to worship Him, to, to sing songs of prayer, uh, praise to Him, and to offer up our, our prayers before Him, to take time to remember the death of His Son as we do every Lord's Day. It is just a real encouragement to be here with each and every one of you. I hope that you feel the same way. This morning, I want to talk about something that I think is going to be it's going to be a, a, a topic that's going to help all of us. It's going to go in hand in hand with a lesson that I preached to you two Sundays ago, the dependability of God. In fact, both of my sermons today, this morning and this afternoon, are going to touch on how we can trust in God and how, how He is a dependable God. And we're going to look at some case studies, if you will, about how that, that dependence was shown in, in the Bible. Before we dive into it, let's start by reading a, uh, an excerpt from a book by the man of, of the name of Clarence Edward McCartney. Now, Clarence Edward McCartney was a Presbyterian preacher and an author. And he wrote a book called Great Nights of the Bible. And this is an excerpt from that book. I'll start reading. It says, Mother, what makes the lions roar so loudly tonight? The Babylonian mother clasped her child to her breast and answered, Because for three days they have not been fed. The lions are famished. They are hungry. That is why they roar so loudly. All through the day, those who live within a mile of the den of lions can hear the savage beasts roar. Mad with hunger, they paced restlessly up and down in their den lashing their tawny hides with their tails, uncovering their cruel fangs, and every now and then, laying their jaw to the ground and emitting a frightful, earth-shaking roar. But at the eventide, when night has come down over Babylon, and its hanging gardens, and the wind whispers among the willow trees along the banks of the broad Euphrates, there is silence in the den of lions. No longer do they roar. Mother, the child asks, where are the lions? I do not hear them roaring now. No child, answers mother. The lions have been fed. That is why they do not roar. Now they are asleep. Yes, now the lions were quiet. They had ceased to shake the earth with their roars, but not because they had partaken of food. For when food was offered to them, they had refused it. In fact, it was the first time the lions had ever refused to eat. This excerpt from his book, again, Great Nights of the Bible, is from a chapter called The Night with Wild Beasts. Now I imagine most, if not all of us, are quite aware from what account this narrative comes. In Daniel chapter 6, we have recorded for us an example of service and of commitment to God, which Daniel showed throughout his life. We also have recorded God's faithfulness to Daniel in his times of need. Let's start reading together in verse 1 of chapter 6. It seemed good to Darius to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom, that they would be in charge of the whole kingdom, and over them three commissioners, of whom Daniel was one, that these satraps might be accountable to them, and that the king might not suffer loss. Then this Daniel began distinguishing himself among the commissioners and the satraps because he possessed an extraordinary spirit. 
And the king planned to appoint him over the entire kingdom. Then the commissioners and satraps began trying to find a way to, to uh, excuse me, trying to find a ground of accusation against Daniel in regard to governmental government affairs. But they could find no ground of accusation or evidence of corruption, inasmuch as he was faithful, and no negligence or corruption was to be found in him. Then these men said, We will not find any grind of accusation ground of accusation against this Daniel unless we find it against him with regard to the law of his God. Then the commissioners and satraps came by agreement to the king and spoke to him as follows. King Darius, live forever. All the commissioners of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the high officials and the governors have consulted together that the king should establish a statute and enforce an injunction that anyone who makes a petition to any god or man besides you, O king, for thirty days, shall be cast into the lion's den. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it may not be changed according to the laws of the Medes and Persians, which may not be revoked. Therefore, King Darius, sign the document that is the injunction. So if we look at these first nine verses... Maybe if we wanted to subtitle these first nine verses, I don't think uh, in, 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 my, in, in my Bible that I'm reading from, it just says Daniel serves Darius, but if we wanted to specifically subtitle these first nine verses of Daniel, we could literally call this the setting of the trap. These men have come to set a trap. And, and the reason why is found in the very first few verses. We see Daniel is very successful. He is appointed one of three commissioners over the kingdom. Now what we know about this time is that Babylon has recently been conquered by the Medo-Persian Empire and Darius the Mede receives the kingdom. Little is known about this man, but it's very likely that Cyrus of Persia appointed him over Babylon. And so that would make him kind of second in command. So you'd see the hierarchy looking something similar to maybe Cyrus is over top of everything, and then, ba- then the Babylonian area is underneath of Darius. And Darius is really impressed with Daniel. Because Daniel has done what he has done all of his life, what he's done in the past, what he's done at this time is the same. He says he distinguishes himself from the others. And notice he did this not by his cunning business strategies and, and not by his crushing drive to be the best. He wasn't just climbing that ladder and kicking people to the curb as he went. No, it was because of his spirit, which was described as extraordinary. This is an excellent lesson for all of us, showing that one can be successful, whether in business or just in our life in general, or possibly maybe in politics. That's kind of an important thing going on right now in our country, politics. Someone can be successful in these things without compromising their character. When we think of the idea of politics, how many times have we seen someone do just that? Compromise their character. To say one thing at this time when it's profitable, and then at another time when something else is profitable, to completely reverse their position. But you know, that's too easy to wag our finger at politics, how about we look at our own lives? Have you ever compromised to get maybe a better deal? You know, just recently we were doing our taxes. It came up that 
I could put in some of the mileage that I've, dro- I've driven for, for some of the meetings that I've been to, uh, that, I, that I've preached at, and some of the, the places that I've, I've preached at and specifically around the state. And You know, when I was putting that time in, or I was putting that mileage in, I could have kind of flubbed on that a little bit. Maybe said I drove a whole lot farther than I really did. I would have got a bigger return. I would have had a, a lot more money coming back to me if I had done these things. But that would have been a compromise. A compromise of our character. So how about yourself? Have you ever done anything like this? We can see how this is a strong lesson for us to learn today. Because Daniel shows the importance of standing firm and of being unwavering in our faith. In fact, because of Daniel's character, Darius is contemplating placing him over the entire kingdom. So, when you stop and think about it, you have Cyrus, the Persian. He is appointed, most likely, he has appointed Darius, the Mede, over all of Babylon. And Darius is going, Daniel, you're going to be next in command. This is going to put him third in a very, very high-ranking government. That's a really big deal. And because it's such a big deal, Daniel became, uh, Daniel is an object of envy for a lot of people. His success leads to jealousy and envy in others. Even the godliest of men can certainly have their enemies. I mean, we really don't need to look any farther than Jesus to see that, how, how much his enemies hated him and despised him. Like Daniel, his noble character, Daniel's noble character disgusts his enemies. Because they cannot find a charge against him. They can't find any error. They can't find any fault in him. And it says they couldn't find it because he was faithful. Let's say he was trustworthy. He was dependable. He was the kind of person that if they tried to slander, it would be immediately evident. Because not only was he faithful to God, people knew he was faithful to God. It wasn't just something that he kind of did in the shadows. People saw that. People that knew Daniel knew this is a man who is trustworthy and and dependent on God and he is faithful to him. So just ask yourself for a moment. If someone drug your name through the mud, maybe it was to those around you, like your family members or your friends, maybe it's to your co-workers or, or even your neighbors, would they believe it? Would they look at you and go, no, no, I know that that man is faithful to God. I don't, I just don't believe it. Or they just kind of shrug their shoulder and say, eh, I could have seen that. I could have seen that coming. I can understand that. The fact that the satraps could not find anything to charge against Daniel is more than just a marker that he was faithful, but it was a marker that everyone else saw his faith as well. And understanding all this, they finally conclude that the only way to defeat Daniel was to pit the law of God against the law of the land, which is precisely what they set out to do. And what we see here now is Daniel is the target of this trap. Daniel's enemies approach the king and they propose a royal statute. Notice the way they flatter the king. They kind of point out to him that, Oh king, you should be petitioned before anyone else. Oh king, excuse me, oh king, live forever. No one else should be petitioned for the next month except you. Now had the king not had these men, these satraps, 
in place. Or maybe if he had chosen more wisely, who would be in this position? It's very possible this, this decision would have never been made. I mean, the decision that no one in the kingdom could petition any god or man other than Darius, it's a little far-fetched to begin with. But, you know, the, the, the idea here of petition, it's simply meant to, to ask of or to request something. So it's kind of like saying you can't ask or request anything from anybody except the king for one month. I don't know the exact demographics of how many people lived in this area at the time. I guarantee you that is not the responsibility that Darius is going to want. That's going to get old after about, I would say, an hour of everyone bringing him their requests. But on top of that, I highly doubt the satraps want to be able to go 30 days without requesting something from someone. So we can see in this that they tricked the king into making this decree. In fact, it's quite possible that Darius thought even Daniel had been consulted and was agreeing to this plan. In verse 7 they say that all the commissioners, the prefects, the high officials and governors came together and came up with this, of which... Daniel was one of the three commissioners. But nonetheless, all these things aside, the king still signs the decree. And even though, according to the law of the Medes and Persians, this this decree cannot be changed, we're going to see that God is capable of changing this decree. So let's look forward now into verses 10 through 17. In these passages we read, Now when Daniel knew that the document was signed, he entered his house. Now in his roof chamber he had windows open towards Jerusalem, and he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God, as he had been doing previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and supplication before his God. Then they approached and spoke before the king about the king's injunction. Did you not sign an injunction? that any man who makes a petition to any god or man besides you, O king, for thirty days is to be cast into the lion's den? The king replied, The statute is true according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which may not be revoked. Then they answered and spoke before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the injunction which you signed, but keeps making his petition three times a day. Then as soon as the king heard this statement, he was deeply distressed and set his mind on delivering Daniel. And even until sunset, he kept exerting himself to rescue him. And these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Recognize, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or statute that the king establishes may be changed. Then the king gave orders, and Daniel was brought in and cast into the lion's den. And the king spoke and said to Daniel, Your God, whom you constantly serve, will himself deliver you. A stone was brought and laid over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring, and with the signet rings of his nobles, so that nothing would be changed in regard to Daniel. So again, as we maybe are trying to label these sections of this book, of this this specific chapter, these verses here, verses 10 through 17, might be known as the trap is sprung. We've set, we've read how they set the trap, and now they have sprung the trap on Daniel. And what we first want to notice is that Daniel doesn't change anything. He continues to pray, and it's not because he was ignorant of what was happening. 
He was in the know, if you will. The document had been signed, and he knew about the document. He knew what was going on. But that did not change his stance on what he was going to do. It said in verse 10, Now when Daniel knew the document had been signed, he entered his house on in his roof chamber, had his windows open towards Jerusalem, and kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God. This is something that Daniel didn't just do kind of in protest to this injunction. He didn't, they didn't put this, this decree out and Daniel thought, well that's not fair, I'm gonna, I'm gonna shake my finger at the world today. No, in fact, if we read back through, through history, this was something that the Jews did, the Israelites did, for a long time. In Psalm 55 and verse 17, we read, evening and morning, and I, and at noon, I will complain and murmur, and he will hear my voice. In this psalm, we read of, of praying to the Lord, using it and describing it in ways such as complaining and murmuring. But it says that he would do that at the evening, in the morning, and at noon, three times a day. We're back over in 1 Kings. If you want to flip over to 1 Kings chapter 8. 1 Kings chapter 8, looking in, starting in verse 27 through verse 30, it says, But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house which I have built. Yet have regard to the prayer of your servant and to his supplication, O Lord my God, to listen to the cry and to the prayer which your servant prays before you today, that your eyes may be open towards this house night and day, towards the place of which you have said, My name shall be there to listen to the prayer which your servant shall pray toward this place. Listen to the supplication of your servant and of your people Israel. When they pray toward this place, here in heaven, your dwelling place, hear and forgive. So not only was it something that it was accustomed to do, praying three times a day, but we all see it was accustomed to praying towards Jerusalem. And in 1 Kings 8 and verse 54, the same chapter, just a little bit further down, we see that it was accustomed to do so on their knees. When Solomon had finished praying this entire prayer and supplication to the Lord, he arose from before the altar of the Lord, from kneeling on his knees with his hands spread toward heaven, and he stood and blessed all the assembly of Israel with a loud voice, saying... So what we see is this isn't Daniel going and hiding in a closet so that no one will see him. And this isn't Daniel protesting the king and just how how horrible decision... is This is Daniel doing what he has always done, what his people have done, this is him worshiping the way he has always worshipped. Three times a day, towards Jerusalem, on his knees, and as it says, with thankfulness to God. You ever stopped and th- just for a minute thought, what on earth does Daniel have to be thankful for? I mean, here he is a captive of another nation, and a decree has been established that condemns him to death, and the ruler of the land just, just signs it into existence without even giving it a second thought. What on earth does he have to be thankful for? You know, I can't help but imagine his thankfulness derives not just in spite of these circumstances, but also he is thankful because of these circumstances. I imagine a prayer where maybe he says, Thank you, God for being my king, even when I am displaced from my nation. I am so far from home, so far 
from the nation that, that we once were. Now we are captives, but you have not neglected me. You are still my king. Maybe he says, thank you, God, for giving me fair and just laws, even when my current government is passing evil and oppressive laws. I think that right there would be a great thought for all of us to think today of how beautiful God's laws are, that we can follow them, and that they're simple enough that we can follow them, despite the horrible things that goes on in our government. Or maybe he said, thank you, God, for your love for me. And considering my life, even when my earthly king obviously doesn't have a clue about how this affects me. Now granted, these are sheerly my speculation. This is just my thoughts on maybe some things that he prayed about. Let me tell you, we could all use that same attitude today. In fact, Philippians 4 verse 6 commands as much, telling us to pray and make supplication with all thanksgiving. That would include even in times of trouble. This was Daniel's custom since early days. Even though he was powerful, even though he was a great, he was great in the eyes of man, he still felt fervent prayer. It wasn't something that was beneath him. In fact, it was an intricate part of his life. And it was a part of his life that had not diminished in old age. Daniel is an old man here. He still humbles himself and takes his worries takes his thoughts and his cares and takes his thanks and his praise to God in prayer. So at this point, we now have Daniel who has not changed. He's still praying and petitioning God and he is now caught. And once his enemies catch him praying, they report straight to King Darius. Notice how Darius tries to think of a way in which he can rescue Daniel. But again, Daniel's enemies point out again. They say, the decree you made, Darius, it can't be changed. You have no choice but to go through with it. And that he does, throwing Daniel into the lion's den. So even though Daniel is being thrown to what seems like his death, the king still remains hopeful. Notice in verse 16, he says to him, Your God will deliver you, whom you constantly serve. It does seem a little bit like some of Daniel's faith has rubbed off on Darius. He says, Daniel, your God will deliver you, whom you constantly serve. Let me ask you, if Daniel had served God the way many serve Him today, sporadically, when it was convenient, when you wanted to, do you think Darius would have had the same hope? I don't think so. I think he would have looked at Daniel like he was a doomed man. But that is not the way we see Darius viewing Daniel. We see that the den is closed with a large stone. It is sealed so that the law would remain unchanged and seemingly so would Daniel's faith. To most of Daniel's enemies, they believe this is the end. As we read on, we're going to see this next portion of the, of the chapter could obviously be labeled the trap is spoiled. Starting in verse 18, Then the king went off to his palace and spent the night fasting, and no entertainment was brought before him, and his sleep fled from, fled from him. Then the king arose at dawn at the break of day and went in haste to the lion's den. And when he had come near the den to Daniel, he cried out with a troubled voice. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you constantly serve been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel spoke to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth 
and they have not harmed me, inasmuch as I have found innocent, as I was found innocent before him. And also towards you, O king, I have committed no crime. Then the king was very pleased and gave orders for Daniel to be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no injury whatever was found on him because he had trusted in his God. The king then gave orders and, and they brought those, those men who had maliciously accused Daniel and they cast them, their children and their wives into the lion's den. And they had not reached the bottom of the den before the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Then Darius the king wrote to all the peoples, nation and men of every language who were living in all the land, may your peace abound. I make a decree that in all the, all the dominion of my kingdom, men are to fear and tremble before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and enduring forever. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed, and his dominion will be forever. He delivers and rescues and performs signs and wonders in heaven and on earth, who has also delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel enjoyed success in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Going back again to the beginning of this section, we read that Darius is worried. We read that Darius spends very re- a very restless night he gets rid of all his entertainment. He, does. he just wants to be left alone. He is not happy about this decision. And so as soon as he can in the morning, he rises early and he runs to the den. Let me tell you, this says a lot about Darius' concern for Daniel and what kind of person Daniel must have been. The Medes and the Persians, like the Babylonians before them, they really looked down on the Jewish people. It's because these people, they were not... Some, some valiant people who had, who had fought and waged war against them and been defeated. No. They were captives. They were not a brave race. But rather they were a slave race. That was picked up as spoils of war. And yet here we see the concern Darius had for this Daniel. Someone who really shouldn't have mattered much to him. As he gets to the den, we hear with troubled voice, he cries out to Daniel. Daniel, did your God deliver you? Notice how Daniel answers him. He says, O king, live forever. He respects the king. Despite what the king has just done to him, Daniel blesses him who had persecuted him. What a great lesson for us today. When people hurt us, maybe they say things about us that aren't true. Just like, just like, what these men had said about Daniel. And what, or just, just like the situation that these men had tried to catch Daniel in, to try and find something that wasn't about him. Maybe someone has done that to us. They've, they, they have said things about us that aren't true. They're trying to hurt us. Maybe someone physically has hurt, hurt us. Look at the way Daniel responded when he was persecuted by blessing them. And it's not in this, Huge way he didn't give them all of king all of his money and, and, and worship the king like like basically what these satraps really were trying to get him to do. Either way, they were gonna they were gonna destroy him. No, it was with words. He just showed respect, and you know that had to have a huge and lasting impact on this king, someone who had hurt him. And now is being blessed by him. 
But not only that, listen to what he says next. He says, God sent his angel and shut the mouths of the lions. He's gladly telling him who has saved him and taking none of the credit for himself. You ever stop to think about this for a minute? The rock, the stone was on the den. They didn't have closed circuit television. They didn't know, they didn't have a clue what went on in that den. Except for what Daniel tells them. He could have told them, I wrestled these lions to the ground. I put them in headlocks. Next thing you know, they're all rolled over and I'm rubbing their bellies. They're purring like kittens. That's the kind of man I am. You throw me in this den, wait till I get out of here. Daniel could have said anything. He could have made up the most elaborate story. He could have been a legend. But what did Daniel do? He humbly and gladly exclaimed that God saved him. God was the one that delivered him in this time of need. Again, do we do that? We pray to God and beg Him to help us through a situation. When we get through it, do we just kind of act like we did that on our own? Do we forget who, who held our hand? Or maybe even more, more than that, picked us up and carried us when we were so weak? Do we forget the help that God gives us? Daniel didn't. And we see in verse 23, Daniel is removed from the lion's den. He's delivered from the lions because he believed in God. In other words, you could, you could really say Daniel was saved by faith. But it was a faith that led him to obedience. That led him to do what God had called him to do, even when the cost to him was a great sacrifice. As we read on, we see the conspirators were executed. More importantly than that, we see that God was exalted throughout the land and even Daniel was prosperous all because of his trusting in God in his time of need. Daniel was a man with an extraordinary spirit. Daniel was a man without fault in his dealing with others. Daniel was a man who was faithful to those over him. He was a man committed to a prayerful life. He was a man willing to obey God rather than man. Verse 23 simply puts it, Daniel was a man who trusted in his God. Daniel in the lion's den is not just a children's story. Something that should be filed away for our downstairs classes. These lessons are good especially for adults. Can you imagine what life would be like if only if only we would all learn some of these lessons? Finally, I would have you notice that even though the governing bodies thought that their laws couldn't be altered, God altered them. And even though they thought the den would be the end of Daniel, God had other plans. The enemy thought it had won once that stone was placed upon the den, But after the stone was removed, the enemy learned quickly just how bad they had lost. Fast forward now. And think likewise with Jesus. Having been crucified on the cross, buried in the tomb, the stone is sealed over his graves, and his enemies think, we got him. Until the stone was removed. We can take great comfort in the fact that just like the men who accused Daniel were destroyed, Jesus has conquered and completely destroyed our enemy. That is death. No longer must we live in fear of it. 
Rather, it is a welcome rest of those found faithful in the Lord's. Do you have a saving faith like that of Daniel's? I want to encourage you this morning, if you have not yet taken those first steps to starting your journey towards heaven, then I would ask you, why do you wait? What good is found in waiting? Rather, place your hope and your trust on the Lord. And as Ananias said to Paul, get up and be baptized and wash away your sins. If there is some way in which we can help you do this this morning, I would encourage you, please do not delay. But come forward right now as we stand and as we sing.